Welcome back to the Monica Matthew Show. You made it. Happy Friday, August 5th, 2022. Would you agree that war is violent? Would you agree with that? Would you agree with that statement that war is violent? Whenever I say the word war, what does that conjure in your imagination? What is the first thing you think of when I say the word war? What emotions are provoked when I say the word war? What images come to mind when I say the word war? We use the term war lightly in this day and age. We're at war, right? We're at war with them. They're at war with us. Imminent war. Rumors of wars. Cyber warfare. Right? The Afghanistan war. The Middle East war. Wars, the Russian incursion, the, the the Russian invasion, war, right? So, what are what are the images and feelings and thoughts that you have around the term war? I've introduced a term into my show this week called dialectics, right? And, and for the sake of um, time and, and wanting to dive into this and peel it back a little bit like an onion, I just want to focus on war and the, it's not even intersectionality of war and politics, but it's the fact that one begats the other. And if culture is down, is uphill rather from politics, then you have to ask yourself, what does that say about society? That we find ourselves in perpetual war. Now, for some of you who have actually served in a kinetic hot zone, I can't imagine how frustrating it may be to hear the term war used hyperbolically, right? Cyber war. I mean, you guys are like, are you kidding me? I literally saw my best friend blown in half. You know, I literally had to kill a child who was strapped with a bomb before he took out 10 of my guys 
That's war. For those of you who have served in a live, boots-on-the-ground kinetic war. And I want to caution you from using the term war loosely because our words matter and our words have a profound effect in the ripples of the universe. And not to sound woo-woo, you know, that's not who I am, but it's undeniable, the word says himself, that our words have the power of life and of death. And so if that's true, and I believe that it is, we are at war in a violent way, and others are at war with us in a violent manner with words. I submit to you that if we could see the actual spiritual effects of our words, some of us may never speak again. Think about that. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But that's not true, is it? No, it's not. The words of a the words of a tale bearer, otherwise known as a liar, go down into the innermost parts of the belly and wound. Narratives are made of words. Right? Narratives are made of words. How many times have you heard the term narrative warfare in the past 24 months? When my daughter graduated from college, where are we, four years ago, is that right? Five years ago. No one had an, an inkling as to what her major was I had to explain it and explain it again and over explain it. And the easiest way to really explain narrative studies with a neuroscience minor. The easiest way to explain narrative studies is simply the study of storytelling. And if you think about how powerful oral tradition was and still is for the politically illiterate, for people who are culturally rich in that they still sit on their stoops, on their porches, in the cul-de-sacs, you know, tailgating, on their trampolines, in the hood, um, you know, at the lake, on their boats, um, you know, on a crime spree. I mean, it just, yeah, consuming, 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 spending, 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 um, 
the 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 illiterate political class, and I, I don't say that with judgment or condemnation at all. I I'm speaking strictly logically, just matter of fact. Those folks rely heavily upon oral tradition, whereas others rely upon digital. They're creating new traditions, right? They're in the stream of information in the way of ideas and and facts and fiction and lies and truths and hope and despair and, um, gosh, it runs the gamut, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Well, telling stories will propagate, there's another word we've used this week, telling stories will propagate a particular narrative. A particular narrative. So when you're dealing with dialectics, you're dealing with, again, a kaleidoscope of thinking in that it's not black or white, but it is every... um, Everything has its opposite thing, but it doesn't just stop there. It's it's really kind of interesting if you think about dialectics and, and how dialectics plays into warfare in terms of Clausewitz's assertions. Clausewitz and the Fading Dialectic of War. Karl von Clausewitz, as everyone must know, holds war to be a continuation of politics by other means. This concept that war is and properly should be an instrument of policy has been generally repugnant to the liberal and particularly to the American temper. Since the Second World War, however, certain influential American theorists have argued that the Clausewitzian point of view provides a coherent guide to the making of rational national security policy. They stress here, the stress here is on Clausewitz's analysis of the limitations on violence. If war is an instrument of policy, then it is a means to an end and must be used only to the extent that it is an appropriate means. Clausewitz is also associated with a seemingly contradictory point of view. He is the prophet, if not the apostle, of total war. He believes that war in itself, as such, is unlimited violence. But in the concrete war, it is always undertaken to serve the aims of policy and and the conduct of war is thus subordinated to the larger consideration of policy. I'll read that again. Clausewitz's talk of total war as the product of a personality kink. Treat this element of his thought as part of a dialectical unity. In scriptural terms, that's called double-mindedness. He believes that war in itself, as such, is unlimited violence. But in the concrete, war is always undertaken to serve the aims of policy in the conduct of wars, thus subordinated to the larger considerations of the policy. Where am I going with this? 
it is crucial that you begin to place a value upon your words and the words you consume, unlike, I believe, any other time in the history of this country. I am a woman of words. My first published piece of work, (laughs) prose, was in the fourth grade. I've been a writer since I could write. I eat words. I consume them. I digest them. So do you. They can inspire me. They can cause great despair. They can bring me great elation and hope, and they can bring me abject disdain, rejection of hope, abandonment of all hope. I mean, I'm an artist as well. The sunset can mortify me or inspire me. But when the word himself says, your words have the power of life and death, they bring up and they tear down. Those exact, everything I just read you about war, right? The war of what? Words. Is not only something that leads to a kinetic confrontation, but a kinetic confrontation is not only a means to an end to policy, so is narrative warfare. It's a means to an end to ultimately control or to get things in order. You know, the scripture tells you that there's a time for everything. There's a time for war. There's a time for peace. There's a time for this. There's a time for that. Go read it in Ecclesiastes. But in order to, oh man, the vision I get as I'm talking to you is being righted about 32,000 feet and going through a hella storm and just riddled with pressure changes and, and turbulence and the whole plane, the, the whole fuselage feels like it's about to break in half and people are clutching onto their seats and, and crying, whimpering a little and praying and making the sign of their cross and, and, and you look outside and it's just white Yeah, it's just clouds like you can't, it was beautiful like five minutes ago and all of a sudden you're, you know, 24 months after 2020 and and the whole plane feels like it's about to fall apart and it's up and it's down and it's sideways and you feel nauseated and you're going to heave and and you you look across at the person next to you and you're just like, okay, I hope this is going to be okay and I'm talking to myself through it and we're good and the pilot comes on to reassure you as he tells the flight attendants to sit down and to, you know, cancel flight service and we'll get back with you in a minute. Please stay seated, you know, for your own safety and the safety of others. That's what we're going through as a nation right now. That's what really what we're going through as a world. As a civilization, that's what we are in, incurring at the moment. That's, that's it. That's our reality, right? And just above that, just above that, I'm asking you to switch your attitude to change your pitch. I'm asking you to change your pitch Pull back on that yoke 
and you look up because just above this storm, this turbulence, this barometric pressure hell, this cooker that's creating all kinds of popcorn all over the globe, just above that is your peace and your salvation that surpasses all understanding. But really the only way to get there is to understand and to accept the actual war, the actual battle. Many of you are very afraid that we're going to be nuked by someone, whether it's a smart bomb or, you know, or the whole country's just going to, you know, go to hell in a Russian handbasket or a CCP handbasket. Most of you are not even looking at Iran, which is kind of interesting to me because you should be. You should never take your eyes off of the Middle East for any reason, ever. Because we have more than one enemy. And the boogeyman is not just George Soros. It's not just the CCP. It is not (laughs) Justin Trudeau. God bless him. What a stooge. So it's not him. Not only. It's not Klaus Schwab. You got to love my German relatives. Good grief. It's like every possible genocidal maniac has come out of Germany, for God's sake. So, you know. It's not him either. It's not the WEF. It's not the WHO. It's not the CDC. It's not the WTH or the WTF. You know, it, no, no. We have one enemy against the soul of mankind in the arch nemesis of the creator of freedom and peace and joy. All of those people and entities may be serving said kingdom and author of confusion, but the war has never changed. But God's mouth and God's mind and God's heart and God's movement is very much so alive. And he is pouring out through people who are listening, who are pursuing him, who are standing still and resting long enough to hear. Because hope is the only strategy. And if politics and policy are downhill from culture, you are standing on top of the hill. What are you consuming? You are the target. You are in the crosshairs. What are you listening to? What are you digesting? What are you feeling? What are you thinking? All of that is part of this war. And if you could see the violence, how violent, murder with the tongue is an actual quote in scripture. People who lie on others are murdering others with the tongue. People who are gossiping, and envious and jealous and coveting and racism this, racism that, equity this, equity that. All of that is murder with the tongue. It doesn't mean we negate from whence this nation came from and up out of the ashes that God has brought us through and continues to bring us through as a nation. No, absolutely not. No one is in denial of this nation's history, not on this program. 
but I am not going to encourage you to stay cemented to the past to the point where you are apologizing for your unique creation in God. I'm not going to do it. I'm a woman of words. And I love the word of God. The word of Elohim. The word of El Shaddai. Because there's freedom and there's peace and there's hope and there's joy and there's love and forgiveness and sound mind. There's clarity above the turbulence. There's clarity with just a little simple adjustment of your instrumentation, of your pitch, your neck. You know, the word refers to those who died in the wilderness, the Israelites who did not make it into the promised land, as a stiff-necked people. What does that mean? They were, they were stubborn. And some of you are, that you wear that stubbornness like a badge of honor, and I used to as well. And whenever people put that on me now, I'm like, mm-mm. Because the scriptures tell you that stubbornness is as what? Witchcraft. And I'm not a witch. Some people may think I act like one. I don't know. That's none of my business. But I'm not a practicing witch. I'm not a warlock. Some of us have been serving witchcraft for a very long time and don't even know it. Every time we open our mouth, every time we consume a lie, every time we stand there and take the blows of the enemy with words of others called narrative warfare, every time we willfully sign up and get on top of that cross... And die for the sins of our ancestors. No, one man already did that. Every time we tell our kids about how rotten our foundational fathers were and how outdated that constitution is, every time we undermine our own freedom, our own liberty, our own liberation. We are murdering not only our present, but our future. So I want to encourage you this weekend to really chew on this. Digest it. War is violent. War is violence. Policy is not a means to war. War begins in the hearts and minds of people, in our flesh. Our spirit wars against our flesh. It is because we do not have the things that we lust for that we go to war, first with our imagination and then our mouths. Racism is covetousness. It is envy. It is jealousy. And there's only one race. So it's really that it's really not racism it's covetousness it is it is bigotry it is envy it is jealousy it is accusative it is murdering god with our tongues every time we say that racism every time we assign the word racism to the conditions that are not uncommon to man not just americans not just africans ever heard of the barbary slaves Ever heard of the Israelites who were enslaved for over 400 years? 
I could go on and on in history about slavery. It has always been man's fallen propensity to want to capture and enslave another individual. It's part of the fallen nature. And the only way to subvert the fallen nature is to reject it, to abandon it, and to yield and submit to throwing your neck back and and keeping your eyes up into a pitch of submission. You know, many people close their eyes and they bow their head. You're always told, close your eyes, bow your head. I would submit to you to try something different during your prayer time. Perhaps this weekend at church and everybody will look at you like you're nuts. Tilt your neck back. Yield. Lift your eyes up. Physically open your eyes and look up to where your help comes from. And tell me that there's not a difference. We are to come boldly before the throne of God, the throne of grace the throne of Elohim, boldly. Not with guilt, not with shame, but with awe and reverence and gratitude and hope and humility and submission. Anybody can lower their neck. Anybody can bow their head. But can you look up? Can you stand in the middle of this battlefield and adjust your pitch? Adjust your altitude. Put the nose of that plane directly pointed upward to where the blue skies are. I marvel at that when I fly or in the midst of hell, especially over, you know, over waters going overseas on flights. And I've been in some doozy flights, believe me. And, you know, I'm like, cocktail, please. Although that makes it worse, I'm just going to tell you. If you're afraid to fly and you hit some bumpy roads, alcohol's not your friend. <sighs> you live and you learn. But now I'm just like, ah, we're good. <laughs> These things can take take a, take a licking and keep on ticking. And they can. But when that happens, you know, and especially if it's not at night, but you're coming back from overseas, right? You're coming back to the States, and you pull, and you one minute it's like, oop, everybody shut the shades because we don't want to see this mess. And then you open your shades and you look out. And you see all of that storm beneath you. Oh, the skies are beautiful. They're crisp and they're blue. And the sun is out. And you're like, wow, just above all of that is this. It's smooth sailing, it's peace. It's beautiful. It's joy. It's quiet. Right? And right now, we're going through the eye of the storm. We're actually not even the eye of the storm. We, we are actually on the fringes of it. So I, I want to encourage you to get in the middle of it where Christ always stands and rise above it. There's no other peace we're going to find ever in this lifetime that will bring us the peace that surpasses all understanding. It is impossible. And wars and rumors of wars and ulcers and, and you know, an uptick in drinking and ambient and anger and wrath and, and all the warfare in your mouth and murdering with the tongue and accusation and bitterness and fear and dread and terror 
you know, people are on terror lists who are actually law-abiding patriots. You know, I mean, up is down. And the dialectics, remember, remember the kaleidoscope. A boy can be a girl. If you speak the truth out against that, you're going to end up on a list. You'll be kicked from Twitter if you're talking about vaccines and what's, you know, and, and whatever's going on in the body with vaccines, um, you know, all of that. You speak truth to lies, you will always be at odds with the world. Because the world first hated the truth, not only in word, but in the flesh. So if we think we're getting out of this with a whole boatload of worldly friends, <laughs> then we err in our thinking. So I want to encourage you guys. Some of you are very lonely. You've lost a lot of friends and family. Some of you, I've noticed, have been putting your pets, to, your pets are dying on you. Maybe it's because they're older. I don't know. But your spouses are a wreck. You know, your kids are crazy. They've rejected you. You know, the enemy's busy, the enemy's busy, but we can, and I'm telling you, because I've had to do it myself this week, we can loosen up that neck of ours, pick our heads up off the ground, adjust that pitch, throw your head back, and in complete and wild abandon and submission to the prescriptions set forth by the word of God, you can rise above this current storm. And it's crucial for you to do so. Because we're not coming out of this storm. You're going to need to refuel while you're up here. You're going to need some heavenly pit stops. This is, if you all are waiting on the midterms for for this storm to pass, you err. Go ahead and celebrate all the victories that have been occurring for America first, whatever it is you need to do, okay? But check yourself before you wreck yourself and placing your hopes in politics. You drive policy. This country was built from the bottom up. It was not, they got rid of the top-down approach, remember? It doesn't work in a democratic republic. It does not work in a constitutional republic. It works in communism. It works in fascism. It works in Marxism. It works in socialism. It will not work in a constitutional republic. And a democratic republic will not function. So if all of that, if all of that infrastructure is dependent upon you to keep up the maintenance by virtue of how culture affects policy, I want to encourage you to take your ground back, to get your heads out of the storm and looking back up from where our help comes from. Because this is going to be a long ride. We have not begun to see the supply chain issues, which undoubtedly every single source I have warns me day after day after day. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Prepare. Not in fear, not in terror, not in dread, but as a matter of practicality. Which is why you always hear me say, please go to dot. Monica protects with gold.com. Not because gold and silver and precious metals don't fluctuate. Not because it's the end all be all, but because it has historically shown to be a shelter and it is a vehicle by which you can pull into a carport uh, for, for a relative analogy with all of your assets, not all of them, but 
you know, bring your assets, your savings, your whatever it is you decide to to move. And those guys are more than willing and capable of informing you and guiding you with regard to how to protect and shelter and hedge what you still have. I don't make promises. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm someone who loves you and cares about you. And I, God has blessed me with a, a fruitful relationship with a company I believe in. And until I don't believe in them or until they don't believe in me, I'm going to continue to encourage you to go to Monica Protects with gold.com. Gain some knowledge, gain some wisdom. You may not decide to go with it. And that's totally fine. But at least seek out the information. You have choices. And that's a good thing. And my concern is one day, again, not to put you in fear, terror, or dread, but choices are a good thing. Choices sometimes during upheavals of this magnitude are limited. They can become limited. I watched the book of Eli last night and it was very, it was a good reminder. I've seen it before. It's a great reminder of, you know, if you needed, if you need a more recent reminder, uh, just look to Venezuela. You know, I've had uh, Debbie D'Souza on my show several times and we've talked about, you know, that's her home country and, and she's like, Monica, you know, I told Dinesh for a while that it, it can happen here. And he, you know, many people poo-pooed the idea that this country could ever fall to that level of wickedness. And here we are. Here we are. So be encouraged. Our help and our hope comes from above. And we still have choices. Have a good weekend. Choose to have a good weekend. If you're lonely, know that we are never alone. We are never forsaken and God will place the lonely in families. That is in his word and he's done it for me for over 24 years and he will do it for you. Look around. You have strangers, people, the coffee shop, people walking their dogs. There's love all around you. Just open your eyes. All right. Till Monday. Have a great weekend. Love you. Be good to your neighbor beginning in your own mirror. And remember, if you're an American, act like one. Yeah. Uh-huh.